to early jazz, popular, and swing music played by some of the very best musicians from the last century. I'm your host, Kevin McLaughlin. Thanks for joining me today. the pianist and arranger Mary Lou Williams in Nightlife, a tune she wrote and recorded for the Brunswick label in 1930. It's one of her first recordings made at the age of 20. This is At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin, and on today's show, we're going to spend some time with the great Mary Lou Williams, one of the real giants, I think, in jazz as a pianist, arranger, and teacher at Duke University uh, right up until her death in 1981. 
Uh, Claire, from that early recording, I think, is uh, the fact that Mary Lou was really a spectacular pianist. She was one of the best of the first stride pianists. And as a black female, especially one so young, she was also a pioneer and ceiling breaker. At age 12, she began playing on the Orpheum Theater circuit around Kansas City. And the following year, she sat in with Duke Ellington and one of his early bands, the Washingtonians. But she really established herself with the Andy Kirk Band, Andy Kirk and his 12 Clouds of Joy, when she was 19 in 1929. City, there's a pretty gal named Mary Lou, and she plays the piano in a manner that is ultra new. Here of late, she's playing with the band. Let me tell you of this baby and the baby grand. When you hear a hot trumble, who's the power behind the moon? It's the lady who swings the band. When you hear the saxes ride, who's the reason why they glide? It's the lady who swings the band, when the rhythm section gives you action. The lady at the keys is the main attraction, who makes dancers on the floor, beat their feet and yell for more. It's the lady who swings the band, Kirk and his 12 Clouds of Joy in a 1936 recording of The Lady Who Swings the Band, giving us a nice introduction to the arranger and pianist Mary Lou Williams. By the way, the singer there you might have recognized, that was Harry Mills, a longtime component of the singing group The Mills Brothers. This is At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin, listening with you today to the pianist and arranger Mary Lou Williams. 
And by the way, that recording we just heard, The Lady Who Swings the Band, is also the name of a recent documentary about Mary Lou Williams, well worth checking out. Mary Lou Williams, born Mary Elfrida Scruggs on May 8, 1910, she changed her name to Mary Lou at the suggestion of a record producer, Jack Capp, and she took Williams from her first husband, the saxophonist John Williams, and kept it long after they divorced. When Williams was four, her mother and stepfather moved the family to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it was around that age that uh, Williams' mother taught Mary Lou to play the piano. Well, Mary Lou Williams excelled at the instrument and learned to play ragtime, boogie-woogie, and the blues, as well as popular and classical styles. Her uncle and grandfather paid her to play their favorite songs, including classical music, and their family and friends invited her to perform at their parties. Well, there is so much of her work that is beautiful and important in so many ways that she influenced jazz. It's hard to represent it in a single show, but maybe we can introduce her a little bit. Here is Mary Lou Williams in an early recording uh, playing solo piano on Dragum in Chicago, 1930. <laughs> Thank you. 
Some nice piano playing there from a young Mary Lou Williams in a tune called Dragum, recorded in Chicago in 1930. As a pianist, she made major contributions to the swing and bop eras and a lasting impact on modern jazz piano. Some say, as a shaper of style, she had no real style of her own. And she herself actually considered that a compliment, though she also said that anyone with ears could identify her without any difficulty. In 1927, Williams married saxophonist John Overton Williams. Uh, She met him at a performance in Cleveland, actually, where he was leading his own band before he got called up to join Andy Kirk and his 12 Clouds of Joy and took Mary Lou with him. Although Mary Lou uh, stayed on the periphery at first, um, she did begin to get noticed uh, on the strength of her piano playing and some of the arrangements that she started to control tribute for the band. And these arrangements really helped to make Andy Kirk one of the leading bands of the period. We're going to listen next to two different arrangements of Mary's Idea, appropriately titled. The first one from 1930 at the beginning of the swing era, and then with the second one from 1938, I think you'll hear this kind of restlessness that she had uh, toward the prevailing style and her willingness to experiment. It really sounds like a very mature uh, swing era arrangement. These are both with the Andy Kirk and his 12 Clouds of Joy. And Mary Lou Williams takes a couple of nice piano solos. Here's Mary's idea. Thank you. 
we heard two different arrangements of Mary's idea. It was Mary Lou Williams' own composition and arrangement that she did for Andy Kirk and his 12 Clouds of Joy. First one from 1930 at sort of the very beginning of the swing era. And then eight years later, same tune, very different, really reflecting, I think, Mary Lou Williams' penchant to experiment and to kind of push the prevailing style forward. Listening to the music of Mary Lou Williams today on At the Jazz Band Ball, it's good to be with you. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. Well, Gary Giddens, a jazz historian and writer, uh, said once, One of the things I don't understand about Mary Lou Williams is why, at the height of her success, why weren't any agencies coming to her and asking her to lead her own band the way they would have every male soloist and personality who had a name at the time? Well, I think I think we know why. Um, there was still quite a bit of hesitancy in the industry to hire female band leaders and uh, particularly black female band leaders. Mary Lou Williams did want to be known as a major key figure, so she started arranging for other band leaders. Uh, this was a bit of a problem because these bands were all in competition with her own band, the Andy Kirk Band. Yeah, but she was getting telegrams from Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, and this band, Benny Goodman, he had requested a blues, and here it is, Rollum from 1937. <laughs>
was Benny Goodman and his orchestra in an arrangement done for him by Mary Lou Williams called Rollum from 1937. It was one that he had quite a lot of success with. And that was the, the Benny Goodman Orchestra at its peak with uh, guys like Harry James and Ziggy Elman on trumpet and Gene Krupa on drums. Well, another band that Mary Lou Williams arranged for was the Duke Ellington Band. In 1942, Williams, who had divorced her husband by then, had left the Twelve Clouds of Joy and returned again to Pittsburgh. Uh, She was joined there by the trumpeter Shorty Baker, and uh, she eventually married Baker, who had joined the Duke Ellington Orchestra by this time. She traveled with Ellington and arranged several tunes for him, including this one. This is Trumpets No End. This was a big swinging, shouting number featuring the high note specialists of the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Trumpets No End. Duke Ellington Orchestra in um, an arrangement that was done by Mary Lou Williams of what she called Trumpets No End, but was really Irving Berlin's Blue Skies. Featured some high-note artists there, Cat Anderson, Taft Jordan, Shelton Hemphill, and Mary Lou Williams' husband, Shorty Baker. 
This is At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin, and today we're listening to the great pianist and arranger Mary Lou Williams. Well, toward the end of her life, Mary Lou sat down for quite a few interviews, and I thought it might be fun to listen to just one of these. And we're going to sample just a couple of minutes of an interview she did in the late 70s with Marion McPartland, a fine jazz pianist in her own right. In this interview, Mary Lou talks a little about her early career in in Kansas City and some of the musicians she, she played with, like Ellington and Andy Kirk, through uh, the bebop era. I'll follow that with a live recording of Mary Lou Williams playing her own Mary's Blues live at the Keystone Corner, a club in Baltimore, in 1977. You are one of the very few people who has uh, not gone along with any fads and and uh, the things that come along in music. You've always gone your own way, but yet you've always been contemporary. Well, so you you've always it there. I'm the only living musician that has played all the years. Other musicians lived through the years, and they never changed the style. You know how that happened? Uh, my mother taught me spirituals ragtime. I was in Kansas City with Lester Young, Ben Webster. That was my era of the 30s. Oh, no, the 29s. I was with the John Williams syncop- syncopators. That was was that before like, Andy Kirk? Or that was before after? Andy Kirk. Okay, and I was I was only in grade school when I was with them. I played with Duke Ellington um, before I was twelve years old. They were the Washingtonians at the Lincoln Theater in New York, and uh, musicians used to take me there before I even finished high school to to for musicians like uh, General Martin or Fats Waller to listen to. And I also played with Johnny Hodges and Benny Carter. Fat swallowing all of them at the rhythm. You've heard of the Rhythm Club in New York? Sure. Before I was 12 or 13 years old. What I was a fantastic right there with all of them. Uh, growing and, up for you, and though. What a fantastic the, uh, background you had. The fourth era, the bop era. The musicians used to come to my house and write the music. Bud Powell, Monk, and Tad Dam, Sarah Vaughn, Mel Tarme, Earl Garner. They were there every morning after I left the uh, cafe downtown. You mean Cafe Society? Yes, and what I was doing, I was playing a swinging left hand then, and I quit my job on the east side and and just stayed home and started hanging out on 52nd Street. Play another blues in another key. What's your Uh, favorite key? Doesn't matter. It's according to what mood I'm in. Thank you. 
was pianist Mary Lou Williams and bassist Larry Gales and drummer Eddie Marshall playing live at the Keystone Corner, a club in Baltimore, Maryland, in 1977. Before that, we heard just a couple of minutes of an interview Mary Lou did also in the late 70s with Marion McPartland. Maybe you've seen that famous black and white photograph of 57 jazz musicians in Harlem, New York, taken by freelance photographer Art Kane in 1958. Well, in the front row, you can see Mary Lou Williams standing right next to Marion McPartland for the photograph. It's a great slice in time, capturing some of the great jazz musicians living at that period. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's called A Great Day in Harlem, 1958. In the late 1940s, Mary Lou Williams was in New York City and started her own weekly radio show on New York's WNEW called Mary Lou Williams Piano Workshop. Uh, She also began mentoring and collaborating with younger bebop musicians like Dizzy Gillespie and Tad Dameron, Cleveland's own, and Thelonious Monk. Well, they would all come over to her apartment and sit around and discuss the direction of jazz. She was involved in some of the most intense intellectual debates in her apartment and about the direction that this music should go. In 1945, she composed the bebop hit In the Land of Ooblady for Dizzy Gillespie. And it showed that she not only got the spirit, uh, but she also got the fun of this music. It became one of Dizzy Gillespie's signature tunes. In the land of Ubladi, in the land of Ubladi, I met a beautiful princess in the land of Ubladi. She smiled and said, Ubudelia, meaning you appeal to me. I said, Ubudelia la bendu. With pride, ooh, ooh, dilly, a labindu, let's take a ride in the land of Ooblady, Ooblady. She drove me right to her castle in the land of Ooblady, and there I met her two sisters, Bluey Die and Dewey Bleed. Louie Da, without a doubt, was twice my size. Dewey Blee, the other sister, had three eyes. And they both had eyes for me, Ooblady. In the land of Ooblady. I love the beautiful princess from the land of Ooblady. I asked her, Ooby Da, Ooblu, darling, will you marry me? She said, Ubu Dilia Blasi Da E Blue, there is nothing in this world I'd rather do in the land of Ubladi, Ubladi. They led me right to the altar in the land of Ubladi. I had a very bad feeling, things did not look right to me. So before I said I do, I looked aside. They had pulled a switch of rude, they changed the bride. Oh, they can't do that to me. I hopped 
of western-bound freighters from the land of Ubladi. I jumped when I saw the princess who was waiting there for me. Now we say we do you, meaning I will always be in love with you. Oh, it happened in Ubladi. That was Dizzy Gillespie and his orchestra in a tune that Mary Lou Williams composed called In the Land of Ubladi. Dizzy Gillespie and his band Joe Carroll was on vocals, uh, Al McKibben bass, Teddy Stewart drums. Well, Mary Lou Williams was living and performing in Paris in 1954 when she just hit a wall psychologically, creatively, spiritually. She felt depleted, she said, and unable to perform even one more note. This led to a three-year hiatus from performing. She moved back to New York City, where she converted to Catholicism. And she said she would walk back and forth to church and pray for two years. In addition to spending several hours at Mass, she turned her apartment in Hamilton Heights into a halfway house for the poor, as well as musicians battling addiction. With the help of a father, Father Anthony Woods, a Jesuit priest, Mary Lou Williams said she began to reconsider her perspective and came to recognize that jazz was her gift as it originated from African spirituals and the suffering of black enslaved persons. It really is spiritual music. So encouraged by her priest, she began to write a mass in a jazz idiom. Here's the credo movement of Mary's Mass. Um, This is an instrumental arrangement, so no words. This was recorded by Mary Lou um, and her quintet in 1971, Credo. Thank you. 
Well, a little funkier and uh, groovier than we usually get on this show. That was an instrumental version of the Credo Movement from Mary's Mass, a composition by Mary Lou Williams, recorded without words and performed by the Mary Lou Williams Quintet in 1971. In 1977, Mary Lou Williams accepted an appointment at Duke University as artist-in-residence, and she stayed there until her death in 1981. She taught history of jazz and directed the Duke Jazz Ensemble. She had a pretty light teaching schedule, and so she also did many concert and uh, festival appearances. Here's one last recording of Mary Lou Williams to leave you with. It's Mary Lou Williams live at the Newport Jazz Festival in Carnegie Hall in New York in 1978. This is her history of jazz medley, giving us a kind of survey of five styles of jazz, all of which she lived and performed. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you have a great week. I'm Kevin McLaughlin, and this has been At the Jazz Band Ball. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Newport Jazz Festival. Right now, accompanied by Buster Williams on bass, it's a great pleasure to present Miss Mary Lou Williams. Thank you, thank you. Oh, what I'd like to do. It's the history of jazz, the way I've always done it, and the way that I play now. Spirituals, ragtime, Kansas City swing, and the blues has to be there for the healing and the bop era. Four great eras of jazz.